Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Book of Acts. I just thought I'd come down here tonight just because I thought I'd come down here tonight. Amen. No particular reason. Sometimes just getting down here so I can see you. If you fall asleep, you're closer for me to tap. Amen. If I need to tap you, closer for me to tap. You know what we do here is really important. Okay. <laughs> what we do here is really important. It doesn't just impact us. Uh, case in point. Uh, this week, I received a, a message through Facebook, as a matter of fact. I know that's real spiritual, but I received a message through Facebook from somebody in the state of Georgia that uh, said, said, Pastor McGee, just want to tell you, name two sermons in particular, said those two sermons have ministered right where I was this week and just wanted to let you know. So what we do here is important, even beyond just these walls, but the people that it reaches beyond these walls. And so, uh, uh, just, you know, vitally important, not only what we experience here, but what others may experience, amen, the church overall, amen. Acts chapter number 11, I'm going to read, I'm going to read verses 15 through 18 uh, for a jumping point tonight, verses 15 through 18, uh, I believe I can get through the whole chapter, whole chapter of 11 here this evening, but verses 15 through 18 are the verses I want to read in your hearing here this evening. Continue praying, folks, for these sick people. You know, you try to do something like a Friday night coming up, and, you know, the monkey wrench is going to get through and the throne and all the gears, and uh, people's going to feel bad, and they'll have to fight through hell and high water, probably even just to make it by the skin of their teeth, and so on and so forth. But we shall prevail. Amen. We shall prevail. Great, uh, greater is he that is within us than he that is within the world. Amen. Now, he said no weapon formed against us shall prosper. He didn't say no weapon wouldn't be formed. He just said whatever is formed against you won't prosper. So uh, don't, don't get discouraged because you see the weapon or you're under the load of the weapon right now. It's not going to prosper. I know it can be intimidating, but it's not going to prosper. Acts 11 and verse 15, amen. The Bible says, and as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Tonight, I just entitled this uh, study of this particular chapter, these words. It's a question. Who can withstand God? Who can withstand God? Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, I come to you here this evening. 
I'm asking, oh, Lord Jesus, for your spirit and your presence, God, to visit us in the next little while. God, that you're able to help us, Lord Jesus, in this place. God, I pray, oh, Lord, grant understanding, Lord Jesus, in this place. Let your word, God, be alive, Lord, because it is. It's quick, sharper, Lord God, than any two-edged sword. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, minister to us. Help us, Lord, to glean from the God, from your word, God, will be appreciative of it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. 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 You might just want to leave your Bibles open on your lap to Acts 11 if you're not familiar with Acts 11 so that you know what I'm talking about. Amen. The next little while. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Peter had his time that he spent there at Cornelius' house and that household received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He has commanded them to be baptized and he's been asked of those of that household to stay over for a point of time. I don't know how long he stayed. We have no indication in Scripture how long he stayed. But evidently, he stayed there long enough that word got back to the region of Judea and the city of Jerusalem before Peter ever got back there. Uh, you know how it goes. Words can travel by mouth quicker than you can get there by feet. And so before Peter even had opportunity to get back to the region of Judea and Jerusalem himself, uh, what happened at Cornelius' house had went before him. Uh, by some way, the brethren there had already heard that the Gentiles had received the word of the Lord, the word that had been preached to them, uh, by Peter, that Peter had been commanded to him by the Lord. And as a result of this, uh, there was no uncertain stir going on among Judea and Jerusalem as a result of this because they have learned now. Remember, Peter left Joppa. He didn't leave Jerusalem to go there. He left Joppa. And so this isn't just traveling back from where Peter went from. This is going to somewhere where Peter wasn't. Word travels, folks. Good words, bad words. Travel. And so it got back to Jerusalem. And so the Jews of Jerusalem are somewhat uh, upset to learn that their, their uh, poster child boy, Peter, that preached on the day of Pentecost, was housing with the likes of some Gentiles. They were upset that he would even be preaching or teaching unto these Gentiles. And so whenever Peter now arrives at Jerusalem, you can all, almost understand the tension. Uh, that's in the city of Jerusalem as Peter arrives. And whenever he gets there, there are those of the circumcision or the Jews that are contending and disgusted with Peter. And we've made mention of this before, but primarily verse 3 tells us the reason why they were utmost disgusted is because here's Peter who did eat with the Gentiles, which kind of really, man, blows me out of the water that the one thing that they lay their finger on it's not the fact that some folks got baptized there or the fact that the Spirit of the Lord fell on them, but the one thing that they're going to have a point of contention with is because, Peter, you ate. You ate and the company that you ate with. You ate with some Gentile people. Because in their mind, again, let's understand, in their mind, a Jewish, a Jewish Christian, if you want to call it that, that felt bound to the ceremonial Jewish food laws of the Old Testament, that felt bound to that, by no means, anyway, no how, under any circumstances, 
would ever have a meal with a Gentile individual, even if that Gentile, as we know in Scripture, is a Christian now. Uh, they, again, don't have nothing to say about his preaching, about his baptizing, but I have something, uh, it's almost hard to stomach, Peter, that you would have ate with these, these, these uncircumcised men, the Bible says. And so Peter, here, Peter did something very wise, very wise, because as stories go, as stories go and their stories are told, a lot of times when the story is, is, is relayed to you, you didn't get all of the story. You got a fragment. You got a piece. And here's, here's even something else true about stories. You can even be told the whole story and not remember the whole story. I have hard times remembering what I ate for breakfast sometimes, let alone somebody's, you know, 30-minute dialogue on what happened about something. Huh? And so Peter uses wisdom in this. They've evidently heard something about where he's been, what he's done, and what's happened, but he doesn't know what they've heard. Maybe, maybe, all that, maybe all that some of these heard was he was eating with some Gentiles. Huh? Maybe somebody else, maybe some, a different segment, maybe all that they heard was that the Gentiles received the Holy Ghost. You know, the, maybe they didn't have the full story. So Peter does something very, very wise, and that is he begins to rehearse the story. He begins to tell the matter. The Bible says he starts at the beginning. That's a good place to start. He said, I'm going to go back all the way here at the beginning. I'm, since you're, you're upset, you, you got your feathers ruffled because I've been there and here I am, and you're going off of what you've heard. He says, so I'm going to tell you, I was there. Right? <laughs> I don't know if yours went to Joppa and then to Galilee and then got here, but I was there. So I'm going to tell you this story, and I'm going to tell it from the beginning. And the Bible tells us in verse 4, he says, and he expounded it by order. So I'm going to tell it in the sequence of events in which, in which it occurred. And so what we receive, and I'm not going to go through all of those verses, but in the next several verses then is nothing more but Peter retelling the story, rehearsing to his critics, rehearsing to those that are contending with him about the information of what happened at Cornelius' house. Because again, they might not have heard the story correctly. They might just have some fragmentary statements that they are going off of. So he's going to start at the beginning, Try not to leave out any detail. He's going to talk about, he starts in the Bible here in chapter 11. He starts with his own personal vision of what God showed him, what God spoke to him, how three men arrived at the door of where he was lodging. He went with them. Then he tells Cornelius' part of how God spoke to him and directed him to go send for Peter. And he speaks about this. He talks about them, them receiving the Holy Ghost. So he's just retelling the story of Acts chapter number 10. And, and he makes note, something that we didn't have in the previous chapter, he makes note that whenever he left where he was lodging in Joppa to go to Cornelius' house, that he took six men that accompanied him. We know that men accompanied him. We didn't know how many, but he, he particularly says six men accompanied him that were Jewish men that went to Cornelius' house. This, I think, is a very wise move on, on Peter's mode as well because he's got him some witnesses. Got him some witnesses, not Gentile witnesses. It's got him some Jewish witnesses. Now I don't know if I don't know if anything like this was in the reasoning of Peter, 
But according to, to, according to Egyptian law, which the Jews were familiar with because they were captives to Egypt for years, and according to Roman law, it, a thing was settled, a thing was verified, a thing was concrete in, in Egyptian law if you had seven witnesses. Well, if he took six men with him and he was a witness himself, that made seven. In Roman law, which was the law that they were living under at that time and that day, uh, whenever you talk about the seals and even the seals in the book of Revelation, seven seals, it took seven seals, which would have been seven different people and their, their, their seal, all right, individuals. It took seven to, to give verification uh, to a, a notable document. And so with that in mind, I don't know if that's the reason why I took them, but it may be I'm going to have, I'm going to make sure I'm going to have me some backup. Somebody going to have my back. Uh, on what I got to say. So he has seven, including himself, seven Jewish people that can give evidence in defense to Peter's actions, but also in defense to what the Gentiles actually experienced. Because I could hear, I could hear the talk, well, we weren't there. How do we know that they got the Holy Ghost? You know what I'm saying? I wasn't there to hear it, bless God. Huh? Now, you got to think these are low-down, dirty dogs that, you know, they just, da-da-da-da. Some of you might have somebody like that in your mind right now, and you're like, you'd have to be there in order when that person received the Holy Ghost to believe it too. <laughs> well, glory. Amen. But anyway, so he's very, very smart. And look, Peter uses about three things here. He uses three things to convince the Jews at Jerusalem that what he said, what he did, what they experienced were true. Number one, he recounts his own personal vision. They have, they have a certain element and amount of faith in Peter. He has been a very sound leader for them in the church. So they have some faith in him. So surely they'll give a little credence to his word. And so he shares the vision that God gave him. And that's good. But he also shares, he also shares that the spirit, the Gentiles, that the Gentiles in reality, received the Holy Ghost just like the Jews had. In other words, not only was his vision to be used as evidence, but the Spirit of God was bearing witness. The Spirit of God was bearing witness uh, for evidence in favor of what Peter did and what the Gentiles experienced. And then lastly, in verse 16, Peter brings up, you all remember the word that Christ spoke? So, so he, he's loosening all the cannons. I've had a vision from God. This is what I got to say about it. God's spirit came down and validated what was going on. And not only that, his word promised that this would take place. Folks, you, you're standing on some pretty sure footing whenever God's spirit testifies to something. And his word. When the word and the spirit testify to the same thing, man, that is sound ground that is sound evidence and so after he shared these evidences the jews then begin to accept they accept peter's actions they accept the things that god had done unto the gentiles amen because in reality there is in the, without controversy there is no greater proof than the witness of the spirit hmm. why do you think God made it as such, as we've looked at through the scriptures. God made it as such. How in the world do we know that someone's a child of God? Because his spirit bears witness with our spirit by virtue of speaking in other tongues without controversy. When someone speaks in tongues, amen, and it's that of a dove, gentle and not through some uh, hate, mean, gruff 
way, when they speak in tongues and it's as a dove, they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. There is no greater witness than the witness of the Spirit. And since they had the same Holy Ghost, the Gentiles had the same Holy Ghost as the Jews, and they received it in the same way, that is also important. It's not that the Gentiles got the Holy Ghost differently in a different way or a different manner. While they could have thought maybe that would have happened because, you know, they're superior people. No, but they got in the exact same way and fashion because there was only one way. They knew that. There was only one way in which this to happen. Since that was the case, they knew then by God's own spirit testifying by tongues that those Gentiles indeed were saved, indeed received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we know, but let's just bear it for the sake of people that listen to the podcast, it's the same way today. It's the same way today. I liked what I read. I have different study Bibles in my study. One I have is the Life Application Study Bible. And I like what the Life Application Study Bible had to say. It said throughout the history of the church, whenever tongues as a confirming sign has been denied or lost from view, the truth and experience of Pentecost has declined been distorted and been ignored entirely. In other words, said you don't have the Pentecostal experience if you haven't spoken in tongues. Amen. Not had it unless you have spoken in tongues. Now note, note then what, what Peter tells them. He tells them in verse number 15. He says, and as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. He's referring back to the day of Pentecost. He's referring back to Acts 2. You can put it up there, Acts 2 and verse number 4. As on us at the beginning. On them at the beginning, that 120 that were in the upper room, that were in a seven-day prayer meeting prior to the Spirit coming, but they hear that sound of a rushing mighty wind that fell upon those that were sitting in the house. And The Bible says in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Peter says, ah, it fell on the Gentiles as it did on us at the beginning. They spoke in tongues, we spoke in tongues. Same thing, same difference. And then, so that, that, that's the Spirit, that the Spirit witness, but the Word witness, he says, and he says in verse 16, then remembered I the Word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. He says, I, rem I remember. It seems to me, if I recall, I remember the Word of God talking about being baptized with John's baptism, but there was going to be one that would come that was mighter him and would be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Someone say amen. He says, and so that's one reason, folks, listen to this. This one reason why Peter stands up after these boys have received the Holy Ghost and said, what are we going to do about this? Can anybody, you know, forbid any water? And he commanded them to be baptized because baptism found its roots in John's baptism. And he said, if God thought enough of these Gentiles to give them the Spirit, then they surely ought to be baptized. They, they, yeah, they surely ought to be baptized. Amen. And so, so he states these things. So God's Spirit endorsed it. God's Word endorsed it. And so what Peter told them, 
He was bringing their mind to the same conclusion he wanted to get them to. If God's spirit endorses it and God's word endorses it, he said, who am I to refuse it? Huh? If God's spirit did it and his word says it, who am I to tell them? You're not part of the church. Huh? You don't have God. You're not saved. He said, who am I? He said, who am I to withstand God? So he's bringing all this to the minds. And so here's the thing. Boys, if it was good enough that when the, one, when the 3,120 got the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost and the Bible says the Lord added those to the church, if it was good enough to add them to the church after their salvation, it's good enough to add these folks who received the like precious gift as we did, amen, to add them to the same church. Mm-hmm. To add them to the same, who can withstand that? Who can withstand God? All of this is about God. How, in other words, he said, how can we deny who God has accepted? How can we deny? Now, people, you know, they attempt to do so, but that doesn't change the fact that God accepted. But how can we deny who God has accepted? And so those boys... Peter brings them to that nice little conclusion. I said, you know what? Uh, God hath hath granted the Gentiles also the repentance unto eternal life. That leads unto life. Note the word Gentiles. When you see the word Gentiles, many times uh, the Greek word that is actually translated into the English word Gentiles is also the Greek word that is oftentimes translated into our English word nations because every other nation outside of Israel was Gentile. And so that Greek word for Gentiles is also translated nations. And this, this, this should trigger something in the Jewish mind. Because whenever we read, we read back in Genesis 12, Genesis 12, whenever God promised to Abraham that I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you, and he gave the blessing concerning the land that was to be associated with the nation of Israel, he tells them, look, right there for you. And he says, and in thee, Abraham shall all families, which is that, that word families, nations, that could even be denoted Gentiles, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. We see it again in Genesis 22 and verse 18. It's, it's reoccur- we see this statement reoccurred over and over. He says, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now here was the problem. Jewish people, they were so just tunnel vision that whenever he said, in you, Abraham, shall all the families of the earth be blessed, they're thinking all the Jewish families of the earth shall be blessed to Abraham. Hallelujah, glory, amen. And all nations are blessed in the fact that, of course, whenever persecution came in the book of Acts, you had Jews that got dispersed everywhere because of the persecution. So yeah, all nations are going to be blessed because God is going to bless the Jew within the nation. But they were missing the concept that those nations, families, and peoples were the Gentile people and the Jewish people and the Samaritan. It was covering all. It was pervasive. So that whenever God spoke to Abraham back in Genesis 12, that in thee, right, in thee and your seat shall all the families of the nations, for all the families and all the nations shall be blessed, that was a confirmation. That was a prophetic word all the way up here in the book of Acts that the Gentile people, amen, would be receiving and having salvation that was extended to them, was good for them, amen. amen. And, and, and listen, I'd love it someday, I'd love it to someday have different nationalities sitting on these pews. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and different races. 
sitting on these pews. Uh, and, and, and here's, here's the thing, and I'm, I'm just kind of give clarity, you know, like, because I, I have pastor friends, they have 12 different nationalities sitting on their pews. I said, well, Brother McGee, we need 12 different nationalities sitting on the pews. Now, I, I agree, man, I'd love it. Bring them on. That's great. But uh, I just want to reason with you here for a moment. You, it's difficult to get 12 nationalities on your pew if the demographics of your city doesn't have 12 nationalities. Okay? But here, here's, though, where we need to uh, be challenged is that the church should be just as diverse as its city is. Does that make sense? The, the church should be just as diverse as its city is, meaning then if you've got a certain segment that is of one race or you've got a, another nationality, we, got, we, got some different, we do have some different nationalities around here, then, then the church should be able to mirror that, be just as ra- racially, uh, uh, ethnically uh, diverse as its population as its population. Now, all this took place. We kind of turn here on a hinge. That all happened, and then it's like we step into the time machine, and we go back to Stephen's death. Didn't know time machine existed in Acts, but it does. Come to verse number 19. They step into the time machine. They go back to Stephen's death, and we begin to talk about, begin to talk about Antioch. We begin to talk about Barnabas. And the reason why we're talking about these things is because, again, they're thinking... If you go back to the dispersion, whenever the persecution was happening in the church, disciples got dispersed in various places. The Bible tells us there in verse number 19 that at the persecution about Stephen, some traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch. All right? So there was a dispersion of the people. Now, note, note what they do. These good old, good old Jewish people. Persecution's bad. I'm leaving. I'm going over here to Phoenix. I got my Bible. And notice what they said, the Bible says, they preached to none but the Jews. They've been sent from the motherland to another place because of persecution. And honey, we're going to evangelize. Go ye into all the world. We're going to evangelize the world. I'm at a different location. Let me find some Jews to talk to. Huh? We are so similar sometimes, right? Find a setting that's outside of this norm and just find me a good, good apostolic person I can just talk to. Hallelujah. Amen. My Bible. Glory. And they went over to, to Cyprus, and the Bible says they went to Antioch, and they preached to none but, but the Jews. But then note what the Scripture says, though, in verse 20. In verse 20, though, there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, Spake unto the Grecians, or the Greeks, or Gentile people, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, what's going on here? What's going on here? So, whenever Stephen went through his ordeal of being martyred, and there's a dispersion of the people, yes, many, if not most, Jews left from there, went to other places, trying to win, trying to convince other Jews. But there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who whenever they went out, they found some Gentile people to speak to. And so what's important about this little scenario is before Acts 8 and the Samaritan thing took place, and before Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch out in the desert took place, and before Acts 10 and Cornelius and the Peter thing took place with the Gentiles, before all of that, there were some men, we don't have a name to them, don't know what their name was, but before all of we always say, yeah, the, the Gentiles started being ministered to in Acts 8, and it started happening in Acts 10. No, 
it happened all the way back shortly after the martyrdom of Stephen because some of these men from Cyprus and, and Serene went to Antioch and they were preaching to the Gentiles. And they're preaching, it's not something, you know, it's not blown open yet. This is almost like secret preaching. You, you got to preach in secret because someone finds out you're liable to be on a cross next to somebody else. But they're ministering, they're growing the church when it wasn't popular to grow a church with that particular grouping of people. Yeah. And so that church has grown to a magnitude enough that now Jerusalem knows about it. See, we're, we're 10 now years removed from Pentecost, but we're talking about this preaching took place before the Samaritans ever. Listen to me. This preaching to Gentiles happened before any of that. And, but it's just kind of now, it's gotten so large it can't be hid no more. And they, the Jerusalem church heard word of it, and so they said, you know what, we're going to we're gonna have to do something about this because we got Gentile people there that are coming to know the Lord, and the people who start, we don't even know their names. I think that's great importance. Why? Because the thing was that what these, two, what these men were doing in Antioch, what they were doing was more important than who they were. We don't know their names. If we knew their names, we'd treat them like another Peter. My God, look at them. They wouldn't, da 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 No, 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 no. They're nameless because it wasn't so much who they were but what they did. They wanted to underscore what they did. And so they go, they've went and done this in Antioch. Folks, let me tell you something. It takes, it takes some uh, guts. Let me just say it, Southern Illinois. It takes some guts to go to Antioch and try to start a church. It takes some guts. Antioch was the capital of Syria. It's about three to 400 miles north of Jerusalem. But that ain't the half of it. It has about half a million people at this time in Antioch. Um, they were the third largest city of the Roman Empire. Rome, there's Rome, there's Alexandria, and the third largest here is Antioch. Um, they are known as a place of culture, known as a place of commerce. It's a crossroads where people come and go. There's a lot of different nationalities that filter through there because of the commerce. There's a lot of immorality, a lot of immorality in Antioch. It's a very uh, decorated place. They, they said there was, one, there was one road that ran through the center of Antioch. It was four miles long, made of marble. and had marble colonnades on each side of the street. So we're talking about wealth, we're talking about commerce, we're talking about nationalities all over the place, we're talking about immorality, immorality that I'm talking about. There was a garden, all right, there was a garden in Antioch that had a 10-mile circumference, a 10-mile circumference, and that's where all of these priestess prostitutes dwelt. You listening to me? All these priestess prostitutes dwell where they served and worshiped the goddess Diana and people would go in there at different times and have frenzies have uh, immoral relationships with these priestess prostitutes in this huge area in the city of Antioch immoral activity was taking place as a matter of fact they said Antioch I'm just telling you what I've read Antioch was so bad and its influence was so powerful and had great impact that it said the immorality of Antioch even had effect on people that were in Rome some 1300 miles away and there's some boys from Cyprus and Serene so that'd be a good place to start a church and it would be I guess you want to start a church where a church is needed yes listen I preached whenever I went to the city and there were 10 apostolic churches in it and really didn't have the population that necessarily necessitated 10 apostolic churches being good if one of those guys wouldn't start a church where there wasn't no apostolic church 
Well, never mind. That's just a little soapbox of mine. But nevertheless, it'd been a good place to go start a church where church was really needed. And so they started church there. It grew enough. It got, it got recognition of Jerusalem. Jerusalem says, we got this going on. I mean, it's like left field. Here it is now. It's growing. It's prospering. All this immorality going on. But they got them a church building right there. That's just, just, just prospering. They said, we got to go send somebody to kind of manage this and make sure everything's okay. And guess what? They sent they send Barnabas to this blossoming Gentile, that made up of Gentile people, but they're Christians because they've been born again of the water and the spirit. But sends Barnabas to go check this. Let me tell you, they could have not sent any better person. They could have not sent any better person. They could have got somebody uh, that was from the mother city of Jerusalem and sent them over there, and they might have wanted been very critical. They might have went over there and been very critical of the Gentiles, said, y'all ain't doing this right, da-da-da-da-da, because that critical eye is just part of the past. But they sent Barnabas, the one who, you know, took, took, took Saul under his wing, right? Later takes John Mark under his wing. Uh, he just has a spirit about He's what? The encourager. That's what these folks needed. They didn't need somebody to stand over them, bark down at them, they needed somebody to fan the flames that were already burning in their heart, souls, and within their church. And so they sent Barnabas over there. And the Bible says that Barnabas went over there. You can look at verse number 23. Whenever he came, the Bible says, and had seen, look, he went there, and look what he, he got there, and what he saw was the grace of God. Uh-huh. He didn't see, well, bless God, the world might infiltrate the church. They're trying to start a church here among all the immoral. <laughs> Oh, I'm, t- I'm telling you how people think, folks. You can't start a church over there. There are horrible sinners over there. Well, praise God. But the way people think is like it's a disease that's just going to jump on you. You can't start a church over there. Barnabas, whenever he went there, he's seen everything. He's seen this is the, Why are you saying this is the grace of God? Because I see these Gentile people been ostracized by people of my, 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 my type. Uh, 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 of my, my, my nationality, of the Jewish heritage. I, I see these people, and they're, they have a church going. They're constructing, doing the best. That is God's grace. They're doing it in the midst of immorality. They're doing it in the midst of all this. That is the grace of God. And so look what Barnabas does. The, verse 23, it says that he exhorted them. He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Someone say, thank God for Barnabas. Thank God for Barnabas because he exhorted. He did what he's known to do. He encouraged them. He came under there. I, I tell you what, you guys got a good thing going on here. Man, this is excellent. This church is established right here and all of this junk going on and you're seeing people want to. You have a good thing going on here. Now, you know, do you understand what that could have done to a good old Gentile believer? To hear a Jew come over and say, I want you to know you are doing a good work. What you got going on here, this God is pleased with what's happening around here. God, and so he exhorted. He said, cleaving to the Lord. You know what he's just telling them to do? Just keep doing what you're doing. Man, keep doing what you're doing. Dig in deep. You know, dig out of work here. Keep doing what you are doing. And not only that, again, if we remember back from Acts 4, Barnabas was from the city of Cyprus. Remember the men that came to Antioch preaching to these Gentiles. Some were from Cyrene, some were from Cyprus. 
So they're going to even probably even be more open to Barnabas than anybody else because the very men that came in that started this work was from the same place that Barnabas now is, coming, is born and raised from Cyprus. And so they're going to give ear and it's going to take a lot of weight as he's telling them, just go on, continue, just love the word. Whenever you talk about the, the verbiage, cleave unto the Lord, the, the whole totality and the essence of that meaning is this, is that you guys just keep on loving the Lord, walking in the ways of the Lord, obey God, serve him, be devoted to him and his ways. Just continue doing what you're doing. And the Bible says in the same mode that he says all of that, and we understand his character, he's a good man, he's an honest man. The Bible says that Barnabas, he's later going to get Saul, who, who is Paul, and they're going to do some teaching. Now here's something important. In order to continue in a direction that is good, after people have come to know the Lord, there must be the accompaniment of the word. Mm-hmm. The Bible says, 1 John chapter number 2, and verse 24, Everybody say that first word with me. Let. That's, let's go home. That's an important word. Let. It is. <laughs> Let. Because that tells you you have control in a matter. Mm. You know, what, what someone say to you, being taken advantage of by someone, you're going to let them do that? It's like you have control over that. Let. He said, let that therefore abide, continue, remain, dwell, abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. The things they heard from the beginning was the word that was spoken unto them. Let that, let that, let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. So it's one thing to receive the word, one thing to hear the word, but it's another thing to let there be a continuous flow of the word into your life and allow it to abide. Some people uh, come to church and let the word abide for the moment it reaches this ear and out the opposite ear. Or let it abide for the 30-minute or 45-minute segment that I'm up here spitting and turning red in the face and sweating. But it's talking about an abiding that goes beyond that. That which you have heard from the beginning. Notice that we're, we're, not, changing, we're not changing streams here. Midsection. The same word that you heard in the beginning that brought you to this place will help continue in this. Not a different word. The same word. Same doctrine that brought you in. The same doctrine that will keep you. Huh? That same word, and so uh, that you heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning, if, if this happens, conditional, if that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, if it'll abide, if it'll stay, if it'll remain you, and if you'll let it, if you'll let it, ye also, not just the word that you're allowed to continue, but you as an individual, as a person, as a Christian, ye also, shall continue in the Son and even and in the Father. The word and can be translated in the Greek even in the Son and even in the Father. Ye shall continue. If the word will continue, then you can continue. So we can see sometimes there's a fallout of discontinuance ourselves if we've not allowed the word to continue to do the work that the word does. Peter, I believe it says, where ye grow thereby, speaking of the word. Amen. Look at verse 25. Now look, 
and this is the promise. What? That he had promised us even eternal life. Look at this. So you get this word, and many of them also speaking to those who had the spirit of God. But if you, if you let this word come in you and abide in you, the very same word that you've had from the beginning, if you do that and it remains in you, then not only will it remain, but you will remain. And if you will remain, it will bring about the full fruition of the promise of eternal life for you someday. We are on a journey now, aren't we? Verse 26 then says, These things have I written to you concerning them that seduce you. Hold on, wait a minute, i got to tell somebody. So while you're allowing this word to remain in you, which is helping then you as an individual to continue to reach the totality of eternal life someday, there are seducers that are trying to draw you away. There's seducers that's trying to convince you not to let the word that you've had from the beginning to stay. Trying to seduce you from the good to the evil. Trying to thwart the purpose of the word in your life. Because they know if they can snafu that, you'll discontinue if the word discontinues. And it'll upset the possibility of eternal life for you if the seducer. What did Jesus say to the disciples in the Gospels? When they were talking about, Lord, what would be the sign of these things of the last days? The first words out of Christ's mouth to them. He said, boys, he said, be not deceived. Those were the first words. When he was about ready to talk about all the signs of the last days, I think Matthew 24, he said, boys, be not deceived. What's he said? You're going to be seducers. He said, we can cut a, a, a whole lot off at the pass if you'll not be deceived. I was, one time here, some time back, I was listening to Pastor Jeff Arnold, and he was preaching. He says, a prayer that I told Bishop this, he says, a prayer that I pray every day. It says, Lord... Please don't let me be deceived. Someone said, what in the world? He says, because the reason why I constantly pray that, because I'd never know it if I was. You never know it if you were deceived. He says, so I pray every day, Lord, don't let me be deceived, because I'll never know it if I was. Amen. Someone say amen. Now look at verse 27. But the anointing. Someone say Holy Ghost. Which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing, Holy Ghost teaches you of all things. Jesus said of this in John 14. He said the Holy Ghost, the comforter, it'll be a teacher. It'll guide you. Uh-huh. It'll guide you into all things. And his truth. And is no lie. You can trust it. Even as it is taught you, ye shall abide in him. The Spirit then will help teach you the word. Amen. It will teach you the word. And that word will help. What does the word do? It convicts us. We want it to abide because it's a convicting word. And so Barnabas does very well as he goes to Antioch. And he encourages them. But not only does he encourage them. But we read in scripture verse number 26. That they also taught them. What are they doing? They're using that word that was even spoken from the beginning. Because they know that if the people will let that abide and remain in their life. The person will abide and remain. They'll see eternal life. And the spirit of God will help guide them and lead them and instruct them if they allow it. But evidently things got big enough. Barnabas says, I need some help. And he went and got, he went and got Saul, Peter, or uh, Paul rather. 
the one, and this makes sense, because remember, whenever Ananias prayed for Saul back in Acts 9, he said, my brother Saul, you know, even the Lord Jesus sent me into you. And the Lord told Ananias, he said, he shall bear my name. Saul shall bear my name before the Gentiles, before kings. Remember? So no doubt that reputation precedes Saul. Barnabas says, here I am among a bunch of Gentiles. I tell you, a good person would come along with me, someone who's been prophetically spoken over that you're going to bear name to the Gentiles. So he goes and gets, he goes and gets Saul, brings him in, amen, to encourage and do the service and the work of the Lord. That's great. Folks, do you understand how great that is? That someone has put a, a, a gifting or a talent or ability upon a person and another mature believer, Barnabas, says, I remember that, I recognize that, this is a good fit for you, so I'm going to bring you over and put you right in this. That's what we need. We need, we need that in the church. And I pray God help me, Lord, in that, in that measure where as a, as a pastor that I can pick up on or if God has uh, certain giftings for people that I can see that and then meld their gifting with the service that they need to operate into. And the Bible says, look at verse 26, and it came to pass, I'm, I'm reading down just a little bit in 26. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. They assembled themselves with the church. Assembled means they were all brought together with the church. Or the word with in the, here in the Greek can mean in. They were all brought together in the church and taught much people. I don't know if I'm on a soapbox on this one, but maybe I am. And, and there's nothing wrong with it, but I think you can go overboard. Um, there's a lot today that there's just one service in churches. I'm just saying churches overall. It doesn't matter denomination. One service. And then any other time we're getting together in these little house meetings or groups. And the theory that I hear being broadcast is that as the church grows larger, you've got to act smaller. And so as you have all this, then you have these little groups. But I even hear at this church right here, he says, they assembled. They were all brought together in the church. And they were taught. Folks, you come too late to tell me that you can't have a large church and still have three services a week in a collective manner and the word of God be taught on Wednesdays and preached on Sundays. You have come... I could start rattling off case in points of churches I know that are in the 500s. You know what they have? Three services a week. Not because they have one for the traditional and one for the contemporary, but they have three standard services a week. They all come together. Yeah, they have classes and things of that nature like we would on Sunday school, but they all come together. The Word of God is taught in a collective format. Someone say Amen. And so at Antioch, you have this mixture of Jew, you have this mixture of Gentile converts, and they all bore this name. The Bible says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They're all called Christians. The, the I-A-N suffix, that's a, that's a Latin suffix, the I-A-N. That I-A-N means nothing more but belonging, belonging to the party of. So they, the Christians were belonging to the party of Christ. They were belonging to the party of Christ. And both Jew and Gentile, it wasn't a Gentile. Again, I know I've hammered this, but I'm going to hammer it. It wasn't the Gentile Christian and the Jew Christian. They were Christians. Other labels just fell off to the side. They were Christian. They were first called that at Antioch. Look at verse 28. I'm not going to, I said I wasn't going to go long. Is that what I told you guys tonight? 
You guys didn't start my time clock. I'm just letting you know. But nevertheless, <laughs> they're pointing fingers now. It's getting ugly up there. Verse 28, Acts eleven twenty-eight, 28. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, signified by the Spirit that there should be great dirt throughout all the world. I don't know, maybe coming down here and making me teach longer. You go say, get back on the platform. <laughs> Seriously, I shouldn't have went very long tonight. Which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. We might think, we might think yeah, it's important that they say that Agabus came and he's going to speak this. But then they also include their Luke in the book of Acts here. includes that it came to pass in the moment of Claudius Caesar. Let me tell you something. God puts things in his word with great reason. And here's one reason why I believe this in particular is put in there. Not just to give us a time stamp of when this occurred, but I want you to know that because Agabus is going to foretell about a famine, a famine that's going to come up on them in this area of Judea, and he's going to foretell this, and it's happening in the days of Claudius Caesar. The reason why this is important, there are historical records outside of the Bible, uh, Roman history of two individuals that tell of a, a, a famine that hit this land during the years of Claudius the Caesar. What that does for us then as church Bible believers is an outside source. Not that you have to have one, but there are some outside sources then that give validity to God's word. God's word, it said it happened during the days of Claudius Caesar. There are outside Roman histories that say that a famine took place during the days of Claudius Caesar that was just horrific. Amen. So those are just some things that confirm the scriptures. And so here, Agabus is prophesying. Here, here. Sometimes we get the wrong mindset concerning prophecy. People want, people want prophecy to take place so that they can somehow, you know, satisfy their curiosity about the future. I would dare to say probably... 80% of people, that's the reason why they're interested in prophecy, because they're interested and curious about the future. But the true real intent of prophecy isn't so much the case of, of soothing our curiosity about the future as it is to stir up our hearts about what God's will really is. Because as the prophetic word went forth, there's going to be a famine in the land. I guess everybody's curiosity was solved. Okay, we're going to be hungry every day. No, 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 no. What, what, was the, what was the deal was this? Anybody that heard that couldn't stop it. There's going to be a famine. They could not stop it, but they could send relief ahead of time to those that would be in need concerning it. For instance, if we had enough intel, Brother Fred, to know that some natural tornado was going to run through somewhere, without doubt it was going to hit, we could go and make preparations for it before it ever came. It's not just having the idea, i tell you what, I know that there's going to be a tornado. <laughs> it's not like having the info and the knowledge and the curiosity of, <laughs> I know something you don't know. No, it's for the purpose of being able to do, to be able to stir up our hearts and do something about what's going to take place. And they did. The Bible says, look at verse 29, every man gave according to his Ability. Every man gave according to his ability. It's great. It corresponds with the Old Testament. It corresponds with the New Testament. Giving is proportionate to your ability. Whether it's tithing or whether it's offering. And sometimes you, it seems to stretch that a little bit. Like those in, in Macedonia that gave liberally beyond what they were able to give but they gave according to their 
ability. Now, here's something neat. Let's just kind of wrap our brains around. We've seen in Acts 2 that people got saved, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and people started selling possessions and giving to those who lacked, those who had increased. We've seen in, in, in Acts chapter number 4 the same thing taking place. People got filled with the Spirit, and they had all things common, and there was that shared. We've seen in Acts chapter number 6 we see that the Grecians are getting ministered to. Remember, the Grecians in the daily ministration getting ministered to after people receive the Holy Ghost. We see in Acts 11 now. Someone, the people have received the Holy Ghost. There's a church established, and there's a liberality. There is a giving spirit that happens. I don't know if you're starting to see a little pattern here, but the pattern seems to be that our, our salvation should have some type of bearing and influence on our giving. Mm-hmm. Our salvation should have some type of influence or bearing upon our giving. You can stand with me. I'll come to a close. Sorry, just about normal. Now listen. It's the regions of Judea that's going to suffer in this famine. Jerusalem. Where the prominent Jewish church is. is going to suffer during this famine. Let me ask you, I wonder, I wonder how glad the Jews were that the Gentiles had the same precious gift that they received whenever it became famine time. Huh? Because you know where a lot of the Jews got their help in Jerusalem when the famine came? From their Gentile brethren. Boy, how the tables can turn. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, the Jews were glad that God had not withstood any Gentile believer in the day that famine was upon the land. They were proud that they were part of the same body, the same building, the same church. Huh? Yeah. It's kind of off subject, but I don't think anybody frowned on someone of a different skin color helping them in the hour of when they may perish. They're afraid I don't think there'd be too, too many white people upset over somebody black giving them CPR and come back to themselves and see it was them that was administering that. Hmm. And that feels good for a different time and another subject. Amen. Hallelujah. I thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.